0: It is my pleasure today to introduce you to a missionary who is working in the country of Ethiopia, who's worked there for many years, who's a good, good friend, and he and his family have um, been involved with all facets of the church in Ethiopia today and for many years. And I thank you so much, brother, for coming here today to, to tell us the story of the past, the present and the future as to what God is doing in that country. I know when you take me around and we we go out into the uh, the outback, shall we say, and we go by a lake and we interview all these people, my heart burns within me almost like I was walking with Jesus on a pathway. Mm -hmm. And it's sort of like you just all of a sudden sense the presence of God in Ethiopia today. So thank you for coming and share with us as much as you can as to what God is doing in that country, so.
1: Thank you very much, Ron. It's good to be with you.
0: Well, let's start off with this. Where was Ethiopia in the past?
1: Ethiopia had been dominated by a a dry Orthodox religion. And coming through communism, they they, they destroyed the faith. They destroyed hope. And as communism ended- When was was that? Uh, Communism ended in 1991. Okay. And it was at that point that the church was around a million people. It was was small, primarily underground, Mm -hmm. facing terrible persecution, but it was strong. And as persecution ended, communism ended, there was an outpouring of hope in Christ through the church. Okay. And that began... In, in small form, little by little, began to grow as this church began to realize what it was like to live under the freedom, and and freedom—not like we have freedom in in North America—but right. the freedom of of embracing and proclaiming Christ without government
0: persecution. Okay, and there was government persecution before that.
1: Yes, during communism, the the government would put many of the religious leaders in prison, would beat them. Some even passed away due to the persecution. Some were directly killed. It was overt government persecution.
0: Shutting down of churches, burning of Bibles. Complete, yeah. Everything like
1: that. Everything was was forbidden for people that believed in Jesus Christ.
0: Yes. What did it do to the church under persecution?
1: Well, you, you got rid of... Anybody on the periphery, what you captured was the heart of people dedicated to Jesus Christ. And so you had people coming to faith knowing that their commitment meant life or death. Okay. And so they would be baptized and they would come to faith in Jesus Christ and they would be fully committed. And some of them passed away. Some of them were killed. Yes. But... Many of them became the leaders because when they would go into persecution, it didn't matter what background they were, when they went into persecution, when they went into prison, they joined together in unity. Uh And there was a unity of the spirit across all denominations. There was an understanding that without the spirit's power, we cannot continue.
0: Do you think that was the foundation that launched it to what we're seeing there today? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely.
1: It, it was a work of the spirit in bringing people together. Yes. And when the unity of the body is there, yes. God commands his blessing. Yes. And that's what we're seeing the fruit of. The fruit of unity is a church on fire, a church exploding, people coming to know faith in Christ and new territories being touched with the gospel because what started in certain pockets, particularly in the central south of Ethiopia, began to expand and you pushed into new territories. So you were going further east and further north, even down to the borders in the south and the west where it was hard to penetrate and now the doors were open as the gospel was going forth. This united church that had been under persecution came up and exploded.
0: Okay. Now, you've told us the beginnings. Now, give me the current. What are we looking at today? Is it it one area? Is it across the country? Is it growing? How would you explain it to somebody that's never been there before?
1: Well, Ethiopia is a a unique place because – You've had a history of where Christianity was strong a lot in the south area. Yes. And now you're seeing like an explosion from the south and the further away it goes, we don't see it maybe as powerful yet, but you see it growing in capacity. Okay. And so you're seeing down even into some of the very strong Islamic areas into the south and east, we're seeing a move of God's spirit. And and you've been supporting some church planters and training as these, these brothers and sisters are embracing Christ and then saying, hey, I gave my life to serve the military of our nation. How can I not give my life to go and be an ambassador of Jesus Christ? And they're crossing into enemy tribal territories where they can proclaim the gospel of Christ as evangelists and church planters in that region.
0: Okay. So they're going into these areas and they are winning people to the Lord. Churches are popping up. And are they um, are are they like our churches here? When I say that, the same style, the same look, or do they have a different look?
1: Well, when we have uh, general evangelical church planting, which we've been part of for many years, we've we've partnered together to see that happen. Yes. And in some areas, it, it looks like a, a church. It's. It's a celebration service. There's a pulpit at the front or a platform. It might be very rustic. It, it's not like our churches in North America, but exactly. it's, it's this yeah. simple little building where yeah. people gather and there's expressive worship and there's yeah. dancing and there's celebration, yes. and there's many of those churches. Yes. But paralleling that, those churches are now engaging in a in a contextual church planting movement among Muslim people groups. Okay. And what what that means is you're planting Christ into a community of people that continue to dress the same way, they they meet in the same way, they encounter each other in the same way. Their fellowship is now shaped around Christ, but in the same context they were before. So they're, they're sitting on the ground as they discuss religious things before. They're sitting on the ground, but now they're discussing Christ. They used to to read their holy books. Now they're reading the scriptures. They were discussing questions around their religion. Now they're discussing questions around Christ and what is it mean that Jesus is the Son of God? What does it mean that Jesus is Lord? These aspects have transformed them as Jesus Christ has been planted. It's not the culture of the church that's been planted. Yes. It's Jesus Christ planted, and they're they're forming small communities. Many of them are house churches. Yes. Some of them are not house churches. Some of them become public gatherings mm-hmm. in an Islamic community where Jesus Christ is being exalted as the Messiah, the Savior,
0: the Lord. When I have gone in with you, and we've sat in some of these houses, and, and you're introducing me and say this was a sheikh this was a teacher in the mosque this was this and you go down the list and you're talking to leaders there that have come out of it how did they come out was it was, was it all of a sudden intellectually they saw it or was there a miracle involved
1: well we have a variety of, of, of ways so let me let me give you a few stories so there's one brother I met with who was a former sheikh. He was a, a student. He had gone to Saudi Arabia and trained many times. And he'd come back to Ethiopia, and he was studying in his religious books. And as he studied, he saw this text that said Jesus had made a sparrow and had breathed life into this little sparrow made of mud, and the bird flew away. And as he he said this, he's, his heart was challenged by the question is God the only creator or is there another? <laughs> and over a series of, of time, period of a few weeks, he wrestled with this question and went back to study and study and said, there's only one creator that's God. Yeah. And the question to him was then, who is Jesus? And that's from his own background, his own religious books, his own religious study. And through that intellectual process, yeah. he came to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. Okay, He gave his life to Christ, became a disciple of Jesus, got got mentored and developed and discipled in the yes. church and became a, a catalyst in his community. He's still working in the Islamic community yes. as a leader, yeah. but he is a an evangelist, okay. a, a leader for Jesus Christ.
0: Okay, so so the, the truth drew him in and then the light went on, we call illumination in theology. The illumination of the Holy Spirit came on and that just convinced him it was time.
1: It was absolutely. Okay. A, and he began to search out others yes. who had left Islam to follow Christ. Okay. And that helped him through the process. Okay. But it, it, it was very much God engaged his mind. All
0: right. But Number two. We,
1: we have an area in, in the eastern portion of the country yes. where this one Muslim leader who was involved in all of the spiritual activities mm-hmm. and leading in different types of witchcraft and, and power activities in the Islamic world. He was helping people to do all kinds of evil. Yes. And he could not help them to find their cattle. And this is something he could do all the time. Really? And these these people <laughs> were struggling, like, where did our cattle go? Yeah. And as he was trying to do his incantations and whatever his, you know, yeah. witchcraft practices were, yeah. he encountered Jesus Christ in a dream. Or in a vision. In a vision. And he sees Jesus challenge him, if you will follow me, you will find their cattle. Yes. Now, uh, he's looking for their cattle to try to get power over this family's life. Right. And here Jesus confronts him and says, you follow me and you'll find their cattle. Yes. And so he begins to surrender his life to Christ because he wants the cattle. Yeah. And then Jesus says, now don't take anything from that family. And he turns his life to Christ. Huh. And now he starts to lead a small community of Muslims who were looking to him to be the leader. Yeah. And he is now leading them to follow Christ through a miracle.
0: <laughs> that's amazing simply because we often think here in the West that there is one pathway. And it was sort of like you go to the Billy Graham crusade, you hear the message, you walk up to the front, you're saved, that's it. Yes. But you're telling me that in Ethiopia, God comes to them and finds them and searches them out.
1: Yes. And then God is calling some, and, and you would remember that you sponsored a number of camel schools. Oh, yes. I that, remember this. That you sent out evangelists yes. who were trained as teachers with camels to go out among a semi-nomadic people group and move with them to be teachers and presenting the gospel of Christ. Yeah. And that was from an Islamic background, they sensed a call to their own people. Yeah. And so sometimes it's, it's these divine, without people encounters that yes. God is reaching out to people where they're at through their intellect, through, yes. through the power encounter, through yes. these various ways. Yes. But other times he's working through other Muslims that he has brought to Christ who now become a representative of Christ back yeah. to their people group. And those schools went on in the eastern portion of the nation where there was more than 57,000 who turned to Christ over a three-year period. The camel schools. The camel schools. The 12 camel schools that became disciple-making communities where the teacher was an evangelist winning people to Christ. And by the means of education, there was a doorway into
0: that community. 57,000. 57,000. That's amazing. That's amazing okay that that is what many um um people would say is a revival and you're telling me that's only a portion of the country
1: oh yeah that that and that's a few years back that's not that's <laughs> not right now that's okay. that's a while ago
0: okay but what we're seeing
1: is God often will encounter the leaders yes with a supernatural with the divine encounter yeah. and it might be after somebody has challenged them that they go away resisting and hard as this brother up in the north he was resistant to a, one of our our brothers going out to disciple him trying to challenge him with the gospel and he was leading a movement and yeah. he rejected and then God came and said no. Go back to this, brother. And that starts a movement. And it, it's those leaders that God encounters that then become the catalyst for sharing Jesus Christ with their community.
0: Okay. Okay. Now, brother, I'm, I'm going out with you a lot. And we go out to these villages. And I remember one time in the springtime we were sitting there and there was a group of these gentlemen who were leaders in the mosques, etc. They were all sitting around. I asked him a question like, did you all— have a vision because everybody in the room was talking about their encounter through a vision or a dream or something like that. I remember they had a little discussion amongst themselves and they said, well, we're sure there's somebody somewhere, but every leader we know has had some sort of, we'll call it a power encounter, a miracle, a, um, a vision, a dream, something to show that God was breaking through to talk to us. Yes, yes. And that is the big thing I believe I learned from that encounter with with those gentlemen is that God is seeking and searching for these people today like never before. Absolutely. And this
1: is a season where there is a lot of openness to the divine. Okay. In the Islamic world, what we are seeing in Ethiopia, but also in some other nations where there's a a, a network of people that are turning to Christ is there's an attentiveness, there's an alertness that there is something and maybe our creator wants to show us something. And so there's this openness, this sensitivity and in that, God is appearing with signs and wonders, miracles, the, the, the power encounter, the, the divine revelation to an individual's life yes. that I am the way, the truth, and the life. Okay. And that is drawing these brothers and sisters to Jesus Christ. But often it's leaders. And, and with that, there is often a greater amount of persecution. Yes. So one of, the, one of the situations, a, a man went into a, a mosque where he was leading and he saw the vision of Christ confront him okay. and he went out and struggled with this and gave his life to Christ and he went back into the mosque and this is all quite quick. He goes back into the mosque and begins to preach and tell them that this is wrong, we need to follow Jesus, very bold, very aggressive as a leader. And they took him out and they began to beat him and they attacked him with a machete and they threw him down a well. He should have been dead. Yeah. And yet God reached down and held him so he didn't hit the bottom. And he's calling out and some ladies going past with their donkeys, lay it down their ropes and brought this man out. And he's not destroyed. He's not wounded. And he goes back into the village and goes back to the mosque. And they know what they've done to him. And yet he's standing there not dead. And that miracle of his encounter to Christ caused him great persecution. But the result was the community turned to Christ. And we saw a baptism of 297 people from that
0: village. Okay. There's a couple of things here you've touched on we've got to expand on. First of all, baptisms. Let's just start with that one. Um, The people are baptized, but there's not all that much water around all the time. So what do they do to show the baptism display, shall we say, to everyone else to, to witness? Well, it, it depends
1: on the location, but what, what they try to do is find somewhere where they could dam up a little bit of water In, in if there's a tiny river, if it's rainy season, really? and they'll try to plan a way that they could dam up a little bit of water. And it doesn't often have to be much. Yeah. I mean, it'd be small as a bathtub almost, yeah. where they could be baptizing okay. people, and and oftentimes when it's the new people in a new region, okay. they'll go to the mother church or the the area that sent them, where yes. they could be baptized, okay. without causing too much. Offense to the community.
0: Disturbance.
1: Disturbance to the community.
0: Exactly. Okay. But
1: as they go, yes. then they start to have baptisms. So when yes. you start getting critical mass of 20, 25 people in a community, yeah. you yeah. can have baptisms. Yes. One or two, you'll get everybody killed. Yeah. But you start getting numbers. Yes. And you start seeing this... Yes. This turn, and then the community wakes up. So I remember back, we had to, we had 429 Muslims baptized in one day, yep. and they had come to faith. They had come to the home church. They yeah. came in in cattle trucks in the back from these different areas, yes. and they came to the mother church because there's no water in that area. Yeah, and as these 429 are being baptized, they're celebrating, and they go back to their home areas. And when they came with a little bit of fear of trepidation, they go back singing and shouting. And that time they were singing and shouting, we are a new tribe. We are the tribe of Jesus. And the community started to say like, who are you? What, what have you done? How come you went without us? And what started with fear of 429 people going to encounter baptism and come back, yeah. they went with fear. They came back with confidence and yeah. presented the gospel yeah. to their community. And we saw a church planting movement spring up in that community.
0: Amazing. Okay. Second point I wanted to stop on, the word of God. Now, when I'm in there with you, we get requests all the time. And there's a dear brother that I've come to love. Uh, he's in the southern part. He's a leader down there. And uh, he said to me with this last time, I think it was, I need 300,000 Bibles, New Testaments, immediately run. And uh, this was for the group that you're talking about. Is this so that they can walk around with a Bible in their hand like it's a holy book? Or do they study the word of God and are transformed by it? I've told people stories, but you are the expert. What happens to the Bibles?
1: Well, first, there's hardly any Bibles. So they're they're just a cry for the scriptures. They've seen over 1.2 million people in that community come to faith in Jesus Christ in the last six years. We don't have 1.2 million Bibles. We don't have access to 1.2 million Bibles. Exactly. They're not asking for something to put on their shelf. They're asking for the very word of God to be put in their hands. And when they get the Bible, there's such a celebration. They treat it at not just as a holy book, but as something special, their very connection. Yeah. How are we going to understand God? We have the Bible. Yeah. And I remember going into one of those communities where we were able to take some Bibles. Yes. And so we had these, these three boxes that you had provided. Yes. We went out, and there was a church of over 800 people. Yes. And we, we had 100 Bibles between yes. the three boxes, and we, we asked them, how many of you have a Bible? And this church is over a year old. Yeah. We sent out the planter. They, they planted the church. There's over 800 members. How many of you have a Bible? Yeah. 11 people in the entire church of 800 had a Bible. Wow. And we didn't have 790 Bibles. Yes. We only had 100. Yes. So they had a list. Yeah. Who were the oldest people yeah. that could read? Yeah that would be able to be teachers to others. And those 100 people that they had a list for, they went through. Now, they had a list of more because they were hoping we'd bring more Bibles. We only had 100 to take. (laughs) And we took the 100 Bibles, and one by one, we began to give out the Bibles to these people that had been disciples of Jesus and had no access to the gospel. They took the Bible, and with... You know, such reverence and honour, they held the Bible up and it wasn't something they could put on the ground. It's not something to put on the bench. They held it over their hearts and they're holding on to the scripture with celebration. Now, when you go back and visit those places, there's other places like that. Mm -hmm. When you go back and visit them, you still see the Bible and it's, it's not in mint condition. It's been read. It's been studied. You, you see marks on the, the side where they've been opening and where they have little pencils there. They're making these little marks. And you go to a, a training seminar for some of these that are going to be leaders. And their Bible comes out. And they're so careful because this is their access. And if it's gone, how would they ever know about the gospel of Jesus Christ?
0: Yeah. Oh, Whenever I travel anywhere in the world, I hate to see a new Bible. I would rather go into churches and see worn-out Bibles because I know somebody's been turning a page. Yes. And I I saw that, first of all, in China, and I've seen it in other countries of the world. When I've been in Ethiopia, I know that's the case. What you just told me, I've been preaching and telling people all across this country, and it's the same thing, that these, these people are taking the Word and making ink and paper into flesh and blood. Yes. And... I just thank you for confirming that because it's hard for us over here sometimes in the West to understand this hunger. And I want you to speak to that now. Um, When it comes to evangelism, these people have a hunger for God themselves, but they also have a hunger to share it with their families. And I've noticed before that they've sent out to go to to their families who lived in various areas around, and they'll take time off their work. And give up their, shall we say, money in order to take the gospel to their family and friends. Is that true?
1: Yes. So some of the most exciting things for me when I first went was we had we just had a few church planters back then. We didn't have a lot of resource, but we would send out just one or two, and that was all we had. But when we sent out one, and we went down to visit this one, and this is, for me, burned into my mind as one of the first experiences that just symbolizes what happens. This church planter went out, and he planted a church. And— we went in three months. Yes. And there was already three other churches that he had planted. Oh. And when we followed up six months later, so it's nine months after the church had been planted, yeah. they had seven other churches planted. And it was just in their DNA yeah. that we have found the gospel of Jesus. It's transforming our life. How yeah. can we not yes. give it to somebody else? Yes. So fast forward now to today. Yeah. a a, a year ago, two years ago, when you were with us, we were going out and visiting some of these church planters and we're, we're pounding through these dirt roads into the middle of nowhere. And you seem like, where are we at? We're in the middle of nowhere. And you get into this place where they're meeting and there's hundreds of people there. And we sat with them and we said, you know, how long have you been going? And this group had said they were going almost a year. And we asked them, what was their vision? Yeah. And they identified seven other people that were planting. Now, four had planted, yes. but three more were going to plant. Yes. And they were going in every direction. And we had we had worked with you to sponsor the one planter. Yeah. Yeah. But out of that one was yeah. seven more going out. Yeah. And it's not something that happened a long time ago or just happening now. It's consistent. Okay. The gospel touches them. And we see yes. it up in northern Ethiopia where an Islamic community wrestled with who Jesus is and came to a belief as a community, we will follow Jesus the Messiah. And then they began to share with their their neighbors and their relatives. And it went across the border into Sudan and it wasn't held by a border of a nation yes. it was we cannot let our relatives our family yes. our friends there yes. not know about what we have found in jesus exactly. and as that began to spread it it became like a little line yes. where every everyone along was sharing with their friends and as it got further and further away it seemed like it was so disconnected it had nothing to do with what started in northern ethiopia but it started to spread out like a spider web just going and going and going. And that's the nature of knowing the transformation of a relationship
0: with Jesus Christ. And you can't plan this, can you? No the, I, the, how do you plan a spider web? you can't you, and and this is what people often criticize um the work of the spirit, shall we say in some of these countries where there's an outpouring of the spirit that's so big. it's just going to go where God wants it to go, and God will take care of his church in these situations
1: yes, and it, the strategy is where God is at work, let's work yes. And God is at work. God is stirring in Ethiopia. He's stirring among the Islamic community. He's stirring around historic religious backgrounds. He's just stirring up where people are, are part of tribalism and witchcraft. And He is stirring. Yes. And this is a time that we have an opportunity in the middle of that stirring to present Jesus Christ.
0: We're going to go back for a second to the... Um, planting of churches within the, the, the culture, shall we say, of, that they've grown up in. And when we go back for this, it, this is something new, isn't it? It's not something that was done traditionally, but is it effective in getting through to these people? Is it easier for them to believe in some regards?
1: Yes. So one of the challenges that we have in the church is we have a culture, and oftentimes it's hard to separate our culture from our faith. Our belief in Jesus Christ sometimes gets confused by the practices that we have. And what was happening was they would try to go out and try to make all these people like them culturally. Yes. And the challenge was there's people that would never respond because of the culture, not because of Christ. And some of our brothers, some of our good friends began to work as we worked with them they they began to push as new opportunities and new ways of engaging and this looks very different okay because they don't meet on a on a sunday yes. with a, a pulpit or a platform at the front with a preacher shouting or yes. a choir singing yes. or this big you know front person with everybody watching and celebrating it, it, it's not like that it, and it might be a little bit less exciting and celebratory than we think church should be, yes. but it's very much centered in knowing Jesus Christ and as a community coming together around Christ. Okay. And in the midst of that, yeah. they keep their form of culture and they, they worship Jesus in their own language yes. and they have their own way of expressing who Jesus is to them, but it is very clearly he is the Messiah. He is the Savior. He is the Lord. He is the Son of God. He is not just a prophet. He's not just a good man. They've come to understand Christ. And sometimes when the, the church was resisting this model, they'd be pushing back against it because it doesn't look like us. And then we can't claim it. It's not, We can't own it. it it's not ours but it is the body of Christ expanding. It's the kingdom of God taking new territory. And so we started to see a turn as the church began to embrace that this is not something outside of us. This is something bigger than this. This is something that God wants to do. And so now the church is engaging and asking some of our brothers to come in and train them. How can we better engage these cultures that are not like our culture? Their background is not the same. Their language or or linguistic style is not the same. They want to engage Jesus Christ for those who don't
0: yet know. And this is why I came back to this issue, is because I wanted to ask you this question. Do you think, therefore— from what you just hinted at, that this could spread to other areas of Africa, the Middle East, down in the southern part. Do you think this is a launching point of what God is doing in Ethiopia today? Absolutely.
1: This is this is a season, and, and for me, I think God is stirring something from Ethiopia to the nations. Okay. And what it is, is it's it's not just a move of God's spirit. We've seen the move of God's spirit. Absolutely. But when God is moving by his spirit, he's doing something new. And the new way is bringing people specifically from the Islamic background to know Jesus Christ. And what happens is as we respect their culture, but we present them with Jesus Christ, they are being transformed. And what we see is in Ethiopia is not unique to Ethiopia. Okay. So if we look across from Ethiopia, uh, th- there's a there's a network, not not a Facebook or a Twitter, but a genuine relational network of people who know people who know people. And what we're starting to see is going down the coast of Africa, coming down from Sudan through Eritrea, Djibouti, Somalia, Kenya. It's an Islamic coast all the way down to South Africa. And there is a move of God's Spirit. Small numbers, it's just starting. It's not large, but it's the seed of the gospel going into a culture and beginning to turn their hearts, not to a new culture, not to a Western culture,
0: but to Jesus Christ. And this is where we're getting into the future, because we've done the past, we've done the present, what God is doing there now. But from what, I, uh, what I'm hearing from you, there's hope now, because we've always painted the Muslim world We've always painted sub-Sahara Africa, especially in the uh, the, um, Muslim-speaking parts of that, as being impenetrable with the gospel. But do you think God now is finding a way to get through? Absolutely. And I think some of it is we think
1: it's impenetrable because we want to do it our way. Yes. And God is saying, hey, I'm doing a work. Come and join me. And what that what that's doing? It looks different in each culture. It looks different in each context. Yes. But what's happening is Jesus Christ is building a incarnational relationship with those individuals. So he's going into into cities where people have said, you know, Islam is our religion, and he's saying, "But but I'm the one who's calling you," oh. and he's drawing them to him.
0: This is a breath of fresh air because I grew up in an era when. You never even thought about a group of people from this background accepting the Lord. You grew up with thinking, if one does, that's a miracle. If two does, that's a super miracle. In other words, when you're talking here about 1.2 million in one part of southern Ethiopia from from this background, all coming to Christ— I don't even know how to put words around that because this is something that is greater than anything we've ever even dreamt of before in missions.
1: Yes. And what happens when we celebrate the one, the two, we usually celebrate that they've come in and joined us. Yes. But I think Jesus doesn't want them just to come in and join us. I think he wants us to take Jesus to them. And it doesn't touch the one. It doesn't touch the two. It touches the one community. And that might be 5,000. That might be 10,000. That might be 100,000. And as Jesus goes into that community, he touches that community, mm-hmm. and from that community, the neighboring community. And so we don't see one church, we see seven churches. We don't see a movement of one person, we see a movement of a hundred people, or a thousand people, or a million people. God is stirring that way. And it's us that needs to change. Sometimes we we get excited and pray for God to change somebody else. Yes. But it's us changing so that we are receptive to what God wants to do among the people that he's placed us in.
0: Okay, let's move on as we're wrapping this up. I want to ask you, then how can we, and I'm going to use this word, empower the work of God in that area, the church of Jesus Christ? What do they need right now and how can we, and those that are listening to this right now, how can we help what God is doing?
1: So I see three things and we've talked about this before, but let me, let me tell you the three. Yep. Number one, we need the scriptures. The scripture. A- and Empower has been releasing the scripture for us. We, we thank you for that partnership. Yep. That is a, a, a transformational release of the scriptures into the work of the Lord. Okay. The second thing we need is, is training. Yes. As we help the church to understand, we are to take the gospel out, not invite everybody in. Yes. And that, changes our culture. Yes. And so training them, we're training the those that go and we're training the new disciples that are coming in. We need to train these Muslim leaders that have come to Jesus Christ. They need to be trained. They're okay. the teachers of teachers
0: in their community. Okay, now stop here because um, you've talked to me before about we're getting together this group of a thousand teachers and they're going to go out and touch this many communities. And my mind blows up when I'm thinking, you're getting a thousand guys sitting in a field for a week Tell these people that are listening to this podcast, what does that look like?
1: Well, oftentimes we try to gather them in smaller groups so they can have uh, people in same language grouping and same community and culture to work through the challenges. So a thousand people doesn't always mean a thousand people at one time. Okay. It means a, a thousand people in a, in a two week period between these, you know, six or eight or whatever locations. Okay. So uh, let me give you a couple examples. This this last few years, we've had a movement of God in the north, yes. and there's a number of different tribes or language groups that are coming to faith in Christ, and their leaders are coming. And they've asked us to do some basic discipleship training, and then to do some leadership training so that we can train their leaders to steward the movement of God among them. And so that's biblical teaching, that's theological teaching, that's laying out how they can move forward, and they're asking a lot of questions, but... We tried to do a training and we said, okay, we can't, we can't do a lot. We, we're going to start with the discipleship training of 12,000. Well, more than 20,000 came. And then we said, okay, we need to- 20,000. 20,000. And then we said, okay, we want to just work with the trainers because each of these different language groups needs people in their own community to be the trainers. Yeah. So we, we limited it to 800 that were going to come as trainers. And when we gathered the 800 in these five, six different locations, more than 2,000 total came. Because they said, no, no, we also will be training in our community. And, you know, that's beyond our resource capacity. We're we're limiting it to 800 for resource reasons. They said, well, no, no, we're just coming. We'll sleep on the floor. We don't need the material. You'll get the material for us another time. We need to know so that we can be training our people. And into those communities, many of them, we don't have the scriptures and so we need the scriptures and we need training okay and and the third thing we need yeah. is we need to be able to resource some servants of god as church planters as workers to take the gospel we have the ability with a small amount of resource yes. to send out a church planter. Yes. And this might be somebody from an Islamic background that's going into their their community, their their tribal group, their family, where they're going to plant the kingdom of God. They're going to establish a local community of yeah. disciples.
0: Right. Now, when you go say we're sending them in, they are effective from say, after they are there for about 10 years and they've learned the language and all this, then they're effective. That's the usual standard. I'm saying that facetiously simply because I know very well that when they hit the ground, their first footstep on the ground, they're witnessing and they're starting to reach out to their people. What can you expect in, say, the first year or two that we're giving them support for $80 a month for their family? What do you expect
1: well, generally, we expect in a year that a church will be established. We're, we're expecting that's the minimum. Minimum. There's going to be a church established. Yes. That worker is going to be supported. Yes. From their local church that okay. they've established. Okay. That's the expectation. Yes. Now, that doesn't always look the way we think. So, that can look like a community of people meeting on Sunday under a tree. Yes. And there might be 100 or 200. And you remember some of those experiences where we've gone and sat under a tree with uh, 100, 200, whatever amount of people as they worship Christ. It might also look, like a town with six or seven little houses in the town where people are meeting together and there are six or seven house churches that form the church of that town. And they meet privately because the persecution is so high, but they so desperately want to meet together to discuss Jesus Christ. And that worker carries the gospel like that. Oftentimes, As you you know from empower, you'll support somebody, and it might not finish their term even of a year, and they've already gone off support because they've been able to raise up people, and now we have to say, hey, we're going to support somebody else here.
0: That's why we never give names, exactly, because we don't even know who's going to get it sometimes.
1: And they're they're changing because people are coming to faith in Christ. The church is being raised up. They said, we don't need money. We we, you've sent us. Now we've planted. Send someone else. And so we've been able to send many hundreds, thousands, even from. The partnership within power over the years to start the church in places where the church does not exist.
0: Bibles, training, church planter support. Yes. Those are the big three in Ethiopia today. Yes. Let me just wrap this up by just asking you one more question. And um, this one, I think you can answer very, very well. Do you have hope for the future?
1: Oh, yeah. My hope, as I see it, is what God is doing in Ethiopia doesn't end at the borders. And what we see creeping up into Sudan is going to spread all across North Africa. And so we have 357 million unreached in Africa. The majority of those are North Africa. The majority of those are Islamic background people. And they need the same light that is shining in Ethiopia today. And my hope, my expectation, I'm I'm filled with faith. I'm filled with excitement because what God is doing here, he's going to do there. What God has been doing in Ethiopia where he's been touching these communities that have been resistant and opposed, God is going to do in these nations Mm -hmm. of North Africa. He's going to do through the Middle East. He's going to work into Central Asia. I have an expectation of that because we have watched the love of God poured out for people who do not yet know him. And he's given us, he's entrusted us with Jesus Christ. Amen.
0: Oh, thank you so much for being with me here today and with all our friends that are listening to this. Um, I think what the church needs to know here in America and in Canada is this. That there's an enthusiasm, is an excitement, not just in us talking about it, but in the Church of Jesus Christ in these hotspots, these spiritual hotspots around the world. There's an enthusiasm that they've never experienced before. This is a brand new day in missions. And you personify it and you explain it so very well. And I thank you uh, for your, your service over there and your service to the Lord. But thank you for being our friend. And thank you for being part of the Empower family. God bless you.
1: Amen. Thank you very much, Ron. God bless you.